premiered a film. I didn't. Yeah, I premiered the film. That was a, kind of a big deal. How did that go? I didn't. I didn't really hear that much about. I mean, obviously, I heard it was uh, well received and everything, but uh, I guess that's all yeah. I need to know. No, no problems. No, nobody from Enemy Slime, I guess, came up and said hello to you. Uh, a, a guy who casually reads the website was there, but I don't think he actually knew about the contest, so I don't think it counts. Good. Fuck that guy. Yeah. So, so he doesn't get a game. Nope. Um. Yeah. I mean, it went well. There was like five films. We had a very weird kind of programming block, and this doesn't this doesn't to say anything of the quality of the films. It's just typical. It's t- typically when you go to a festival program, you're used to seeing one type of film. Like this, this block is just going to be for comedy, or this block is just going to be a ho- for horror, or this block is just going to be for drama or whatever. And I don't know what they did with our program, where if they decided none of the other films, none of the films in our program fit anywhere else and so this would just be the program where they fit everything that they couldn't figure out how to program so it was me post-winter which i guess how would you describe it like a light drama maybe yeah yeah um i I mean it's it's heavy stuff but it's told in a light way i think yeah so we had that one we had a um a heavier drama for sure which is about a little girl with cancer which is always sad now that's Uh, that's that's moths right that one is that one was not moths. Oh, moths wasn't in your block, was it? Moths was not in my block. I think it was in the block before, but I couldn't be there because I had to meet my cast and crew and friends and family and do interviews and all that crazy stuff too. You know, the, the school wants to make you feel like you're an actual Hollywood star, even though you're not. Yeah, it's like you get your one good thing. This is your one good thing, so enjoy it. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, and what else did we have? We had we had like a, a very bizarre. Uh, horror film type thing. It's kind of like Rear Window. If Rear Window, the protagonist never turned out to actually be right about the murderer. You know, he just suspected this guy murdered the whole film and the guy wasn't a murderer. And uh, that was kind of it. Hmm. Um, What else? We had a sitcom in our program. and Uh, Like like a like a single camera sitcom or like. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, well, I guess the I guess the laugh track ones are multi camera, right? I'm I'm not yeah, a TV the laugh track guy. I guess multi camera. So this is a this one was a single camera uh, sitcom, hmm. and it was about the staff of a dating website. It was uh it was funny. It was fun. That, I think that sounds like a, a unique idea. It doesn't sound too bad. How yeah. uh, was that like a full twenty minute like pilot or whatever? Or, or yeah, was that it? was basically a full twenty minute pilot. Oh wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the 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 filmmakers they just kind of do whatever they want. They do web series. They do uh, pilots. It's it's usually, uh, you know, dramatic narratives like mine. But uh, they go all over the place, which brings us to the last film in our program, which was a documentary. Actually, just about a guy who decided to hitchhike on a whim. So it it was hard to know how to watch the films because the program just didn't have a tone. It was like here's just kind of a smorgasbord of these completely different films. So you're just going to kind of watch all of them and guess what the tone is supposed to be. And I, and, uh, I can see that because it sounds like it's, you know, here, here's a sad dying girl, but here's a bunch of funny people who run a <laughs> dating website. Yeah, exactly. And um, see, the problem I think Post Winter had is that it followed directly after the sitcom. So people weren't sure. They, you know, there was some nervous laughter at, at first. And I think Post Winter, you know, the script originally turned out, uh, started out as more of a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. and slowly shifted to drama as uh we worked on it more but yeah it's definitely that and i think i I think that was throwing for the audience just because how we were programmed like if if they put us right in between like the cancer girl and the murder mystery then people would go okay now i know how to watch this film but they put us after the sitcom um and the murder mystery followed us and everyone's like i'm not sure how i'm supposed to feel (laughs) watching this yeah i can can see that being a little uh a little tricky to navigate as an audience member because usually I, I want to say that, like, usually they kind of group these by theme when when they do like uh, like like shorts at Sundance and stuff like that. Right. But right. but maybe I'm talking out my ass there. Maybe they just play them all one after the other and call it good. No, I think you're right. I think I think they try to keep similar themes or similar genres or whatever it is. And our block was just a little all over the place, which is um. But you know, like I said, the film was actually received very well. People came up to me afterwards. They really um, expressed their enjoyment of it. So. Um, you know, and, and some of these people had been pretty hard critics of the film while I was in the works in progress screening, and they would come up afterwards. They're like, you know, oh, I really loved it. I loved the character, and it really turned around from the earlier cuts you showed us, and all this kind of stuff. Um, well, and I mean, it, that's that's largely due to the insertion of a shot that I took for you. That, that, that is largely due to the insertion of a shot that you took for me. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like it, but then I saw some of that masterful cinematography 
uh, you know, in the in the middle in in the two to three second range. And I said, mm. yeah, yeah, that's I mean, that 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 was really the game changer right there in the entire <laughs> 12 minute film. Everyone saw that establishing shot of the post office sign. Yep. And that's it. That's the emotional core of this movie right here. Yep. Yep. Crossing crossing borders, too. I bet nobody figured where that post office is. No one, no one could guess that it wasn't in, in upstate New York. That it was in Utah. See, perfect. Uh, I did have to color correct it because Utah is a little more orange than New York is. It's a very bright and sunny place here, and it's because the Mormons are so happy that it just kind of, right. you know, it just it brings out an energy that I think that you don't get in a lot of other places. And meanwhile, New York is very dingy and gray and blue, and that's kind of how the people that live there are. Yeah, yeah, I think that I, I think that's just kind of true of just about everywhere. I think that the place kind of matches. Uh, you know the the people who are there. You know Georgia's very sunny and and happy and friendly, yeah. um, and uh, you know Florida is is the weather just fucking sucks and the people there are insane. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's muggy all the time, so they're always being driven crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know which one's the sunshine state? Um, is I that, think that was Florida, wasn't I think, it? I think that is Florida. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it sucks. If we if we had a Floridian here to correct us, maybe. Yeah, um, but it's a, and it's a good thing we don't. And if you didn't pick up on that yet, uh, <laughs> guess what? This is the Enemy Slime Podcast, episode number thirty-three, and uh, this is something that we've threatened to do for quite some time, which is a a two-man show. Uh, it used to be uh, it used to be the threats were were for me and Jason, but it, it came down to Jared, your your lovable and affable host, and uh, I am here with Mister J Joseph, who. Uh, I am I am the stereotypical black sidekick, renowned filmmaker, uh, black black sidekick indeed. To my, um, you know, the things I do, the the things. See, you you have a thing now where you can be like, I did this. I still I still don't have that. I don't I don't have my special festival that I went to and uh, interviewed with my cast and you know nothing nothing exciting like that. So congratulations and. <laughs> um, you know, well, well done. May the, well, thank you very much. May it, may it not be the last one. Let's may it not be the last one. Cheers to that. Let's cross our fingers on that one. Should yeah. we should we talk a little bit about how uh, oh, um, games, video games? Should we talk about video- those? Yeah, yeah, we could talk about video games. Let's let's take a minute and talk about it. There there were some. So we were uh, due to circumstances on a lot of people's parts. Uh, a film festival premiering and just other you know hectic things in life you may have noticed that we weren't around last week so we kind of missed uh a couple interesting news stories and things that happened but the first thing that i thought we could talk about a little bit is something that actually went down today which is i think at this point i don't don't know if anybody out there is keeping a tally but i think at this point everything that microsoft did that was bad at (laughs) e3 uh was it? I guess it was 2013. Yeah, or was it 2012? Yeah, I, th- I can't even keep track anymore. I think I think it was 13. So basically, every misstep that Microsoft took with the Xbox One, and more specifically how they treated their customer base when announcing it, I think at this point they've finally done a 180 on everything. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so yeah. a- as of June 9th, you will now be able to go out and purchase an Xbox One. Uh, for the price of three ninety nine, and when you open it up, you will notice that the fancy Kinect sensor has not been included. It is it is omitted from the package? And and here, here's no what longer... I think. Here's what I think happened. All the reports started rolling in about people using um, the Kinect for sex, right? I I've heard more of those for the Sony camera actually. Cause oh, is that true? Well, I, I'm sure that people use the Connect for it too. But it seems like Playroom. Have you seen that game where the robots appear yeah. in the room with you? I, I it seems like that is really uh, laid out for pornographic endeavors. But I'm sure people are fucking on Connect too. If you give a human being a camera, it's only a matter of time until until a wiener comes out and and that kind of stuff starts. That's yeah, just, very true. That's uh, that's Newton's third law. I'm pretty sure it's one of the laws. Maybe it's the fourth or fifth. Well, the law of humanity is if it can be used for sex, it will be used for sex. Yeah, sure. I mean, people go to the hospital with uh, all kinds of crazy things jammed into any orifice that you can think of or right. have jammed themselves into an orifice, uh, all with the goal of attaining sexual pleasure. And uh, so this is this is no different situation. So you think that I'm sorry, we're deviating here, but 
your belief, if I'm hearing this correctly, is that the uh, the Xbox One no longer has a Kinect because it's just too hot for people to handle? Or Well, I mean, it's like, you know, um, um, some Microsoft guy was monitoring this stuff, maybe, right? Oh, I would and, hope so. And he And he's sitting in his little basement security lab underneath uh, Virginia, where, wherever it is, and he's watching all these screens. And all he notices is just a lineup of very large guys zipping down their pants and whipping out their wieners. Um, you know, and, you know, they, that guy quits that job. You hire someone else, that guy quits that job, and it's like, okay, we can't keep up with this connect nonsense, so it's not enforced on anyone anymore. Well, and so, I mean... So if you're that guy, does can you? Because like if you work in an office and you need a ergonomic keyboard, uh, you can actually request that. And and by OSHA regulations, your office has to give you that that shitty ergonomic keyboard. Um, can that guy request like a lotion station by his desk or something like that? I think so. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't see why not. Yeah. I think that. I think you're on the right track, though. I think if you look at how people are using it, I mean, obviously they backtracked already when they let it let you unplug it because originally that was it, right? They're like, you can yeah. have the Xbox uh, and you can have the Kinect, but okay, fine, we'll let you unplug our little spy camera so that you can't, uh, <laughs> so you don't get caught by us, right? And now it's graduated up a little bit to okay, fine, you don't have to buy it, and so I think you could predict that that was going to happen. You know, way back when they uh, made it so you didn't even have to have it plugged in anymore, despite numerous like engineers at Microsoft being like, well, it has to be plugged in. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think everyone knew that was bogus when they said it. Yeah, of course. It's just it's how you get it's the same way that you get a child to, uh, you know, obey your orders. Um, you you just tell tell a little bit of a fib. You know, I don't right. want to go to bed. Well, if you don't go to bed, a meteor will hit our house. <laughs> right. Or, and my parents told me that often. Actually, actually, my grandmother used to tell me she we'd, we'd leave the room and leave the TV on, and she she told me that if I uh, left the TV on and walked away, the, the TV would turn off, and it would turn off forever, because <laughs> that's what TVs did. And right. um, you know, I I don't but know. Now, now they do. See, yeah. that's the thing about televisions. Now now they'll they'll turn off and. In the case of my television, if I don't turn it off, it will definitely turn off forever. I need to go through a whole rebooting process. I mean, I guess back when we had like uh, DLP TVs and stuff, you know, the bulb will burn out and then it's not going to turn on ever again. Or or uh, back when we had those early plasmas, you know, you, you walk away while the TV's on and then it just burns in whatever you watched last. And that's, <laughs> right, that, exactly. that's what's on the TV forever. Yeah. But uh, but either way, if that's something that you're interested in, you can go out there uh, June 9th again, and you can pick up a, an Xbox One without the Kinect for 3.99. And well, that's actually good for me because I never wanted the Kinect with Xbox One, and I still don't have an Xbox One. Glad th- I waited. The thing is, though, is that 3.99 is the price of the PS4. So why get the less powerful console? Uh, well, because you interrupted me and didn't let me finish. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm terrible. I'm terribly sorry. I was, I was going to say I still wouldn't buy an Xbox One. But there we go. The idea is I can buy one without the Kinect now. Yeah, yeah. So you can definitely do that. Uh, and, and you you should. I, I don't know. I, I like the Kinect. I think it's cool to play with, but I don't think that there's going to be... And I'm more than willing to reverse my stance here, but I, I just am not anticipating any games in the near future that are made better by Kinect. I don't think anything's come out before that was made better. It was like really promising when they integrated it with Skyrim, and that got me all excited. But you realize, especially if you're married or have a roommate or something like that, you really don't want to be yelling like Fusro Da at your TV. Um, <laughs> well, I think that's the weird thing about um, the interactivity of the um, of video game consoles and all this kind of thing. Like everyone expects it to be this um, huge revolution. Like like every every control thing is supposed to be the next step in technology. And one day we're going to be living in Minority Report and Lawnmower Man and all that shit, The Matrix, whatever. Um, you know, and it's just not the case because, first of all, people feel really silly doing half of the things that these consoles want you to do. Uh-huh. Uh, and second of all, for a long time, they just don't work well. Yeah, and it's I would actually still debate that it doesn't work that well. Um, I, I would say that for me, Xbox on to just turn the console on probably is about a 40% success rate, maybe <laughs> even 30. Um, right. It just doesn't right. it doesn't work that well. Bless its sweet little heart. 
And, uh, you know, I think it's a cool device, but they're making the right step here. If they really wanted to bring it, though, what they should probably start doing is considering dropping it down to like 350 so that it becomes the more obvious choice uh, when you go out to, to pick out your next gen console. But Yeah, I think that's true, but at least it's more competitive now. I mean, it's, it's tough because you can't drop it to a price like that without losing some money, of course. Yeah. But right now, I think it would probably benefit them more to have the install base. I don't I don't really know at the end of the day because both consoles are, have sold well. It's just that the PS4 has kind of really creamed the, the Xbox One. But they've, they've both done respectable. It's just the PS4 did really, really good beyond that. So. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, why don't you we... know, I, we, oh, didn't, we didn't put this on the list of uh, news, but we never talked about the Zenimax thing with the Oculus. Oh, yeah, and, we, we didn't. We did kind of miss that. Yeah, discussing, discussing the uh, connectors reminded me of that. So um, to those not in the loop, uh, what, what wound up happening was... I, actually, I feel like we did discuss this, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but shortly after the Facebook acquisition, Zenimax, who owns... Uh, now, do they own it? I'm trying to get my... I'm trying to make sure that yeah. I'm straight with my organizational chart here. They own it. They own Bethesda. Um, i trying to think who else do they own. Those are the only two I can call off the bat. But yeah, they do own it software. So while John Carmack was working for them still, he developed some tech that eventually found its way into the Oculus Rift. And so now Zenimax is claiming that they have uh, rights to that tech and uh, have, have begun a lawsuit to, to pursue that. And I don't, know if, I, I don't know if it's related to the Facebook acquisition, but I would certainly speculate that it has something to do with it. Well, uh, I think the Wall Street Journal did some digging around, and they found illegal threats even before, um, at least before the Facebook acquisition was announced live. Now, you don't know what mm-hmm. was going on behind closed doors. You don't know if Zenovax, um got wind that the Facebook acquisition was going to happen before they announced it to the public. But, uh, you know, according to the Wall Street Journal, Journal, Zenimax was pursuing this legally before Facebook ever came up. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that could very well be the case. It's, uh, it's wild speculation on my part, but that's what the podcast is for, is to speculate yeah. wildly. It's for spe- yeah, exactly. And to talk about porn in your living room. Or- oh, no, that's, that's, how, that's why I invented like, this whole guy that works for Microsoft that uh, probably doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, do you want to talk about EA a little bit? Because I, I think you yeah, missed... So, so explain EA to me, because I missed that story. So here's what's, here's what's going down, and, and we knew that this was happening, or at least suspected it, although the caliber of some of the games is a little surprising. But uh, GameSpy, when they announced that they would be shutting down there's a, you know a huge list of games that used GameSpy for their online services, and so the big question became, well, what'll happen to all those games? And some right. developers have come up and been like, well, we'll support it and we'll take on you know server responsibility or we'll rent it out or something like that. I'm actually really surprised that a company hasn't stepped in to try and offer you know some kind of cloud-based service that uh, that was comparable to GameSpy, but maybe runs with like a skeleton crew or something like that. But nobody. Nobody has really jumped at the opportunity to fill the role, presumably because it's a failed business model. But um, anyway, long story short, what's happening with EA is they made the decision to uh, basically end a large number of their games that were using the service. I'll give you the high-level stuff. So probably the biggest thing that's going to affect people is Battlefield. Anything yeah. from Just about everything from Battlefield 1942 all the way up to like Battlefield 2142. So that's including like Vietnam and, and uh, Battlefield 2 and all those. Um, all those games will be shut down. Actually, pretty surprising. They're, yeah, because a lot of those still have, I, I don't want to say huge communities, but they, there are definitely people out there that are still playing like Battlefield Vietnam, for sure. Command and Conquer 3, which is Tiberium Wars, is going to go away. Uh, wow. gener- Generals is going to go away, and I was actually surprised. Red Alert Three is uh, Red Alert Three is going away. Yeah, Red Alert Three is going to go away too. Now, see, I I used to love the Command and Conquer series, and nothing really happened other than I became an adult and I had more financial burden, so I had to stop playing it. Um, but I was under the impression Command and Conquer had quite the cult following. I'm. I, I don't follow the series, admittedly, because I'm not a real-time strategy fan, so I'm right. struggling to think of what the last Command & Conquer game was, because I think... I, I think it was Red Alert 3. 
I actually think it might have just been called Command and Conquer, but let me see here. Where's nope. it? It was uh it was so Red Alert three was the last of the Red Alert games, and then there was um a Command and Conquer for Tiberian Ti- Twilight. Because mm. they were doing Generals two, and then it got canceled. If I'm remembering right, um, so yeah, it looks like. Uh, I so, mean, Command and Conquer has always had kind of a messy history. That's the problem. Uh, anyway, they they shut down. They're going to be shutting down a bunch of those. Um, the other ones that surprised me particularly were uh, Crisis one and two are both going to go away. Okay. Um, Never Winter Nights and Never Winter uh, Nights two. They are not like killing light games. Hit. Yeah, that's the thing is these are these are pretty big titles. Um and I think actually the one that will probably upset the most people out of everything on the list is is uh probably Star Wars Battlefront. Uh both 1 and 2 are going well, to go away. It'll it'll upset people but it's also not surprising. You yeah. Know, ever ever since Disney got a hold of Star Wars they've just been killing off all the excess and I doubt EA has much of a reason to want to continue to support it with all the new deals going around. Well, and with Battlefront three on the way, I mean, why why keep the old games up? You know, just yeah. this will just force everybody's hand to switch to the new one when it comes out. But yeah, uh, nevertheless, those are all games that those are the ones that I at least picked out of the list that I figure probably still have you know some form of community on them. Well, and I, yeah, and I, I think there I think all of those are high profile series and high profile titles. You know, I, I can definitely say. Neverwinter Nights 2, I know, was a big deal for people. I know Command and Conquer Red Alert 3 was a big deal for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crisis 2 was a big deal for people. It's not like, you know, they're just... Yeah, it's it's really surprising, the games they're choosing to cease. Yeah, I I, I thought they were just pretty high-profile choices. So, And there's, uh, there's about 50 games in the list, uh, plenty of which are, you know, much less high-profile than that. Um, but those are, those are the ones that I think they're, there's not really going to be outcry. And and I mean, it's not like those games don't work anymore. You can still do private matchmaking and set up dedicated servers of your own and stuff like that. Uh, it's just that you won't be able to use the, the game spy servers and there won't be any kind of replacement for them. So it, it cripples them a little bit, but, uh, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Well, all I have to say is rest in peace, Tanya. You'll be dearly missed. Um, so the next thing that I thought we might discuss is, uh, Steam was, I, I can't even remember if it was this week or last week, but Steam went ahead and pulled a, oh, another, yeah. another early access title. You looked into this a little bit more than I did. What, what were your, what were your impressions of Earth Year 2066? So the game is Earth Year 2066. My impressions are, I, you know, I would ask how it even got on Steam in the first place, but. Apparently, they just lied to a whole bunch of people, and they told them it was one game and used... Uh, they, I, I believe they weren't even actual screenshots. I believe they found a concept artist who actually does uh, portraits and paintings for a living, ripped off all of his artwork, and said those were the screenshots from their game. Um, and the idea is that it's supposed to be another one of these kind of like survival-based games... Only this time you're a robot and you're fighting alongside other robots and robots that want to kill you and all this kind of stuff. And um, Like they you know, always do. Like they always do. And if you look at the gameplay, the thing is a complete mess. Like the controls are horrific. The graphics are basically an eye razor. Um, you know, the targeting system. Like I, I was watching it and they kind of zoomed into the first person view and it literally made me want to throw up from motion sickness. It was just really, really bad. And it was clear that this was a very kind of obvious uh, cash grab, especially when you realize all the material that they submitted to uh, Steam and Greenline and all that kind of stuff uh, was just ripped off from other artists. They ripped it off from other games and they ripped it off from a bunch of artists that aren't even related to the video game community. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't the first time this has happened on Steam either. Uh, yeah. Every everybody remembers the the good old days with uh, War Z. I think it was probably the first game that that was published under this kind of. Now War Z was that set up as early access too? I think it was. I think it was set up as early access, and I think what War Z badly wanted to do was uh, steal some of that Daisy money. Yeah, okay. yeah. My my friend told me to go buy the Z game, so I'm gonna go get that. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and I think it worked. I think people. Bought War Z, think it was one thing, and then found out it was another. Now, I can't remember. Uh, the other game that comes to mind with this kind of stuff is... 
oh shit what was it called it was like operation gary or this stupid title um gary gary's incident <laughs> i think that's what gary, gary's incident <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like gary like grabbed an ass at work and got fired but uh yeah it's called day one gary's incident and um I think this was the one actually where Total Biscuit reviewed the game and gave it a bad score and they did a copyright claim. So I actually that think was I'm the first one that did a copyright claim. I think I'm getting my stories crossed because I don't think this was actually ever pulled off Steam. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's, it, it, you know, another long line of, of right. quality so titles that we've. Day one, Gary's incident follows Gary Friedman. Gary's wife and daughter were recently killed in an accident of some kind. Oh, Leaving no. the middle of age, Gary depressed. He has since drowned his sorrows in alcohol and become a pilot, willing to do any job, no matter how dangerous, for the money. On Friday, 13 June 2014, Gary collects some cargo on his plane from a research facility in Yellowstone National Park en route to Nevada, with the drop location updated along the way. However, as he is leaving, the Yellowstone caldera begins to erupt, and the plane begins spiraling out of control. However, how many howevers are there? However, this triggers the artifacts he is carrying on the back of the plane, which transport him to the Amazon rainforest. As, as, as they do. As the plane descends, Gary passes out of consciousness, the trees breaking his fall and keeping him alive in the jungle. Gary discovers an ancient native civilization, finds food, builds his own weapons, and survives, discovering artifacts left by aliens hundreds of years previously. I mean, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's... Oh, it definitely sounds like a video game already. Like, I, I think back in the 90s, you wouldn't have batted an eyelash at that storyline. Oh yeah, that's that's a um, that's a Roland Emmerich film right there. Easy, <laughs> yeah, easy peasy. Um, so yeah, I, I, that 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 one got uh, that one didn't get pulled. So I I had my wires crossed there, but I thought it was. Yeah. But it, was it is the good. first. It is the first uh, kind of abuse of the YouTube thing, and I think and I think that's um, kind of a common theme. Like people are asking these questions, like why is it so easy to abuse youtube and why is it so easy to abuse the crowdfunding sites like kickstarter and indiegogo and why is it so easy to abuse uh steam and you know get these things on there um you know and i think it's unfortunate and i think it's unfortunate that people use these things in this way for kind of what's a very obvious scam and a very obvious cash grab especially when there are a lot of like struggling indie developers out there who are trying to make honest efforts and you just kind of have these assholes come in and ruining it for everyone yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it's interesting to see the games that get greenlit sometimes that uh, you, you know over others and and the things that obviously have dishonestly forced their way through the system. But at the same time, I think that there's there's no amount of controls that you can put in place to stop this kind of stuff. I, I think you know if there is a well, I think you're right. I, I think you want to say that if there was a stricter kind of review system before it went online, but that's exactly what happened with Earth Year 2066. They just forwarded all these bogus materials to, um, you know, Valve employees, and they were passed, and uh, this is what happened. Yeah, see, and so, I mean, it can happen no matter what. I, I guess what I'm getting at is the, the, you, you can definitely screen better and, and not have incidents like this, but... At the same time, you're also going to be restricting the system more than I think Valve has indicated they want to do. Well, I so. think, and I, and I think as well, uh, someone brought up a good point. I forget who said this. Um, with some developer, oh my god, I, I can't believe I can't remember them right now. But they basically said they believe as Greenlight continues to go on, and players get kind of more accustomed to the system, they're also going to be more discerning about the games at the Greenlight, about whether they can tell if a game is actually a proof of concept. Or if someone's kind of just like uh, jerking them around, so I think that was a good point. Well, and to some degree, the there is a little bit of onus on the consumer. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's one thing to trust Valve to put a game on Steam and, and ensure its quality, but it's not a, a stamp of approval or anything like that. They're not saying it's going to be good or guaranteeing anything along those lines. Um, if you look at the Earth twenty sixty six screenshots on Steam back when it was still there. Uh, you should have known not to buy it. 
Well, that's the thing. They replaced the screenshots after the complaints um, that they had stolen artwork. That's oh, oh, okay. Because I didn't, I didn't see it in its prime then. Yeah, uh, yeah. So they, they, they lied through their teeth the whole way through here. What I did see is a pretty instant turn off, um, and and you know definitely warns you don't don't get mixed up with these guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, but and again, but that's after they were caught in the lie and had to upload old, upload their uh, real screenshots. Yeah. Well, well done to the Earth Year 2066 developers. We, we at Enemy Slime salute you and your thieving ways. <laughs> and uh, may you retire to the island where the Flappy Bird guy lives. Yeah. Uh, you know, hopefully. Not that he was a thief. He was a, he's a genius. Yeah he, yeah, he was a genius. And he made an honest effort that he didn't, you know, he was very upset that he made that first million. He's not giving it back. Yeah, no, no, absolutely not. But it hurt a lot to take it. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty painful. So the other thing uh, that happened this week, it, you can always tell when we're going to discuss net neutrality because it's time for an old wrinkly white man to appear <laughs> on, uh, on, on the Enemy Slime homepage. Uh, the FCC, or specifically their, their uh, chairman, uh, Tom Wheeler, has announced that he's... Well, so... I, our article is not quite slanted this way, but most of the other articles that I've read about this really seem to indicate that nothing is going to happen and that the bill is just going to continue on like it was already doing, despite his claims that he was going to look at, at modifying and and, uh, and changing the more egregious parts of the bill. Uh, but Reddit still started a big campaign today to uh, you know contact the FCC the, the moral of the story is, despite what he seems to be saying here, most people seem to think that the bill is just going to remain as heinous as it has always been. And so if you didn't call your congressman yet, now's your chance. You can still do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Uh, or or rather. Right no, I think your call is right. I, 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 it seems like... Um, you know, I guess my understanding of it is that this is going to protect... Some of the businesses supposedly that aren't, um, you know, Comcast and Time Warner, all that. But other than that, it does look it does look pretty much the same. I think if you want to get loud and complain, you need to get loud and complain. And you know what? This is this is not going to be the last time. This is a battle for time and eternity. Like we are always going to have this problem forever and ever and ever. Uh, where every few months you're going to have to start doing some political activism if you want to keep the internet free because this is not going to go away. Oh, mom, that sounds like work. Yeah, it's it's kind of like I that. actually have to do something to protect my rights. Uh, well, I mean, if you if you want those rights, yes. Oh, but, wow, that's that's bogus. No, this is going to suck super hard. Don't get me wrong, this is a huge bummer. Um I actually can I, can I can I just tweet about it? Can I just post something on Twitter? You know that would work. Um, okay. Maybe if you changed your Facebook profile uh, to an animal or what if I what if I change my Facebook profile to a plus sign against a green background? Yeah. So plus open internet. Maybe an O for open open internet. Open internet. Yeah. No. Maybe an equal sign for keep net neutrality equal. Yeah. Keep the internet equal. Keep the FCC honest. Yeah. I think that's great. I love okay. it. Okay, good. So anyway, that that went down too. Actually, something else that I thought was kind of interesting, I don't know if you followed this at all or, or caught any of it, but um, earlier in the week, uh, Watch Dogs got listed on the PlayStation blog and the, the, the hasty intern who wrote it, no doubt, uh, listed that the game will run in its true form on the PlayStation 4 in glorious 1080p at 60 frames per second. Which, okay, so that, does that mean the PS3 version is going to be, what, 16 frames per second? Uh, the PS3 version should make the PlayStation very hot, and it will uh, melt some plastics. Okay, cool. That's what they're, that's what they're saying. But, but, alas, it was not to be. Those numbers are not, in fact, true, and wow. they were quickly replaced on the blog title header with just a generic description of the game with no mention of its technical merits. Um, and so today, Ubisoft went out and, and kind of did some course correction here. On PlayStation 4, Watch Dogs will run at 900p, and on the Xbox One, the game will run at 792p. 
you know, got 792, got to get over that, uh, that 720 hump. Um, and both of those will be 30 frames per second. Neither title will run at 60 frames on the console. Right. Um, just for the record, I want to say, as a longtime uh, filmmaker and fan of video games, this is the first time I've ever heard of 900p and 792p. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's killer. Um, I mean, I remember this happening way back when like Halo 3 came out, because they, they released them at these... Uh, lower modified resolutions and then they upscale it to to the 1080 or or the 720 or or what right. have you. Um, right. But they're very they're very particular and very odd numbers. Like why don't you just say 720? Why don't you just do that? Did you really <laughs> yeah. save us all that much trouble by getting us those this, you know, couple thousand extra pixels? Right. Right. I don't, I don't know that it makes a big difference, but but hey, what do I know? Watch Dogs is kind of an astounding game in that first it was delayed and then they were showing it off and it looked terrible in in all their uh promotional videos and and keep in mind these are the best clips that they can give you too right Uh, and it just looked it looked god awful and um and now we're now we're doing this with resolutions and I know that a lot of it isn't really that important. Making up cool resolutions that are like kind of middle of the road. Good news, guys. It's going to be like it's meant to be played at 900p for the ultimate <laughs> PlayStation 4 experience. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know. But uh, I think I haven't heard a lot about the PC port, but I imagine that it should still be able to run at, at a normal 1080 uh, at 60 frames a second. But it looks like that's the only way you're going to get that experience. So, it, you, you know what? People get upset about it, but if you look at most open world games on a console, like Grand Theft Auto and stuff like that, none of them are 60 frames. Like, yeah, it would have yeah. been it would have been a really fine achievement if they did get it to stay at 60 frames. Um, but I, I just don't think it's in the cards for this particular type of game. I think that. No, I, I think you're right. I, I, you know, it's like I'm saying that a lot of times. See what happens when there are only two people in the podcast. We're a lot more agreeable. Yeah, yeah, because we can spend the time to convince one another. <laughs> exactly. Instead of, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of assets that are kind of going on in um, these open world games. You know, there's a lot that the system kind of has to process. So, oh, you know what else happened this week? What's that? Uh, Kentucky Route Zero released a third act to the game. And I heard about that, and I still haven't actually played Kentucky Route Zero. I, I haven't. Uh, I haven't played the third act yet. So, because uh, I'm, I've been mid computer format during during that time. But oh, it's very, it's very close to uh, Doc Daper Dot Gun. You know. Or to earning that game of the year award that they gave it. It's it's two. I think at this point it's now two acts away. So let's see. Uh, how long was the gap between Act Two and Three? It was at least a year. So in 2016, we should be able to declare it. No, I guess 2017 because we do it in January. So in 2017, we should be able to declare it our game of the year. Great, awesome. It will almost be the game of a decade. I mean, yeah, it's, it's the game of our generation. That's what we'll give it. It's the game of our generation, the game of the youth. Um, I, I really enjoyed both the titles so far. I'll definitely check out the third one and and uh, maybe report back in with a little bit more than just saying it came out. But it's been such a delay that just the fact that it came out at all is is uh, kind of newsworthy a little bit. And yeah, it actually, I feel like it didn't release to very much fanfare. I feel like it kind of came out and everybody was like, all right, and moved on. I didn't hear a lot about it. Um I think that a lot of the kind of hype train for it maybe has died off, or maybe I'm yeah, just maybe getting worse at Twitter. I, I don't know. No, you got to kind of jump on that when it's ready. And maybe I'll check it out because I've just been playing a lot of bullshit recently. I, you know, it's a, it's a it's a great game. It has a very nice kind of theme or, or mood to it. Uh, I think you'd probably dig it. I, I think it I think it might be worth looking at. But yeah, so that that uh, that came out. Uh, Child of Light came out. And I so Child of Light came out. I mean, is there no more news? Did we skip everything? I think I think that's probably it. Is that does that catch you up on the on the two weeks? Does that seem about I think right? that catches up. Well, well, we also talked about the analog NT retro Nintendo console. Oh, that's true. We did we did uh, mention that sweet little device on the site. I remember seeing this. I, I feel like a while ago, 
Um, really, this, this particular uh, system? Well, I don't know if it was this particular iteration, but I remember seeing something similar that could play Famicom and NES games um, and use their original hardware so it wasn't actually emulation like this oh, one does. Okay. All right, so there you go. So is it cheaper than the analog? Uh, you know, uh, this could all just be a fever dream or or something <laughs> okay. something I saw like an oasis in the desert while uh, you know coming coming home one night or something. I don't. Well, I think I think the analog sounds really cool, and I do still have a few Nintendo cartridges hanging around. You know, who knows that they still work? Um, so after I buy the Xbox One, I will put down my money on the analog. Yeah, for sure. Um, and maybe by then it'll be cheaper than five hundred dollars. Yeah. Have, have you ever have you ever opened up an NES? Um, have I ever opened up an NES? Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't actually gone inside one. Okay, there ain't a lot going on in there. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the entire uh, case maybe hides a, a circuit board that is, you know, as as big as your hand maybe um at best and i mean there's there's not a lot happening inside the nes well, and so what you're what you're paying for for the analog is that spaceship aluminum that they're using to build it yeah and that's important because when i carry my nes i always drop it and yeah well now you know it's going to be able to survive high air pressure um you know and you could have that you can have that comfort in your head that it has been something in all seriousness, that has been on the back of my mind forever is, is I always had considered um, setting up a library of Japanese games of, of Japanese. Ah. Uh, 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 I'd like to kind of have a collection of Famicom and Super Famicom games, and I, I've always considered every every few months I'll go on eBay and look at like a big old case lot of Japanese games, and I'll sit there and like hover over the buy button, and I'll be like, nah, later. And uh, it's something that I've just always wanted to do. And so this is a great device to do that with because yeah. I, I would like to, you know, at the same time, I'd like to collect those games, but I'd also like to play some of them. And so, you know, I, I don't know. It, 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 this is not the particular system for me, but I appreciate the effort. I, no, I think I think you're right. I appreciate the effort. And then one day when I'm huge money bucks and making actual for real movies for Hollywood, I might get one. Yeah. When you show up, when you're grandpappy big bucks and right. Right. You're you're having one of your elite Hollywood parties in the in the hills of Beverly. Uh, you know you'll you'll gather everybody into a room and you'll break out the analog NT and you'll say, "Hey guys, check it." One last piece of news, and this is actually a very good segue for your shot of light. Go um, for it. Is the the Altair uh, Shally ta- trailer that I? Oh uh, yeah. Actually- so I'll be honest, I completely skipped it because I have <laughs> no idea what the hell I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So and that's part of the reason I want to talk about it. it. It's it's funny because I feel like everyone in Enemy Slime has uh, kind of JRPG origins. And I think as we've all gotten older, we've really rejected that hard. Yeah, um, I think I think at varying levels and capacities. Um, yeah. But I, I definitely have taken more of a stance. I, I lean more towards the burn it, you know, purge it with fire. <laughs> right. Well, this uh, I, I got acquainted to the Altair series at a time when I was really bored in life. It was before I decided to go back to school, and I was sick of work and everything else that was going on. Um, and Altair is done by a company. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's done by a company called Gust. And Gust makes these JRPGs that are okay, but they're not great. They're kind of like middle-level JRPGs. It's like if you go to a supermarket... And they're out of Pepsi and they're Coke, out of Coke, but you get yourself an RC Cola and you go, yeah, this is all right for the money I paid. Um, that's what the Gust games are like. So the Altair Dusk uh, uh, trilogy is kind of like the newest uh, trilogy in the, in the games. And uh, there are 16 games. This is, this is their Alchemist series of games. And the goal of the game is to go out there, collect materials, uh, do whatever adventures that you have to do and then come back and mix new items and and fight monsters with them. Um, and each trilogy kind of has a different gameplay style. The original one that I played was the Altair Iris trilogy. Um, and that was a lot more of a traditional JRPG. It was a lot more action-oriented. It was like, oh, here's kind of the goofy bad guy that you have to fight. And here's the deep, touching storyline about your love interest who's also an angel or whatever the fuck is going on. Um, and then the trilogy came after it that people are huge fans of, and I never got it. 
uh, Altair Verona, Altair uh, Tortori, and I forget the last one, like Mameru or some weird fucking thing. Anyway, I think the the thing about the Altair Shali tra- tra- uh, thing that's coming out is it sounds like it's combining a lot of the best of the previous games mm-hmm. and finally trying to get that formula right because Gus, you know, maybe now it won't be an RC Cola. Maybe now it'll be closer to a ginger beer. Who knows? You know, there's, uh, there's nothing necessarily wrong with with a good off-brand JRPG, though. At least there wasn't back... Like, like um, uh, what's something that always comes uh, comes to mind? Wild Arms? Remember the Wild yeah, Arms games? Remember Wild Arms. Or yeah. uh, Grandia, or... Grandia was, yeah. Um, maybe more recently, um, did you ever play any of the Magna Carta games? I was not a fan of Magna Carta. I played uh, the first one. They're not good. I'm not saying that. <laughs> um, right. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of along those lines. Well, see, that's a, but that's that's why I say it because the problem with the Gust games in general is that for everything that they do right, they do something very very miserably wrong. And the best example I can give is the first Altair Iris game I played. Uh, you get to the final boss, you play through the whole game, you get all your summons and you get all your alchemy spells and you mix it and you do this very long, very difficult dungeon. And you get to the final boss, who is not fucking easy, and you kill the final boss and the game only has a 50% chance of running the ending. It usually crashes. Oh, great. Yeah, exactly. So I like I, 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 I finished this game in 2007, and I didn't actually see the ending until 2012. I mean, that's how all the good JRPGs used to do it. You know, crash right at the end. Crash right at the end. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping Altier Shaley is uh, them finally getting their act together and being like, okay, we can do this. We can make a completely good game, not just something that's kind of okay for the most part. Well, uh, I, I'm excited to see what happens there. I, I guess I don't. I didn't even know it existed until I saw I know. your post. No, no one did. No one did. When I when I told Lucio, he was like, "There's 16 fucking games in the series." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." We wouldn't. You certainly wouldn't know, would you? <laughs> well. well, do you want me to tell you a little bit about Child of Light? Yeah, tell me a little bit about Child of Light. Oh boy. So you're a child. Let's just start there. Okay. Um. Well, is, so, this, is this child somehow associated with light? Uh, yeah, yeah, a bit. She learns, okay. she learns light spells and she fights dark enemies and kills them with her spells. So, so Child of Light is an RPG and it's, uh, not to use a turn of phrase here, but it's, it's a rather light RPG. It's not, uh, it's not too deep. It's not too heavy. It's very, very simple. At least what I've played of it so far. It's about a, a you play as a, a young princess named Aurora, like, like in Sleeping Beauty. Um, okay, and uh, she she is uh, living in Austria, in like I don't know what year, sometime in the eighteen hundreds, and she cu- she she comes down with an illness, and everybody says, "Oh no, she's dead," and her her poppy gets real sad, but she's not dead. She's traveled to this new land that she goes to, and and thusly her adventures begin, like all good the Bible story. Yeah, kind of. But anyway, so long story short, you you go on a quest, and I'm not entirely clear on what my end goal is. I, I'm being sent to locations, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what I what I plan to do. But the game's kind of kind of unique. So it's it's an RPG, but like I said, it's kind of scaled back a little bit. So like you'll recruit teammates, but you can only have two in your party at a time. Uh, Aurora can be swapped out, so you can have a party that is. Uh, two teammates that aren't Aurora. And everybody kind of fits into classes. So I'm struggling for names, but you recruit your sister, for example, who largely does combat. Uh, maybe you can help me here. I'm trying to think of what you would call this class, but uh, most of their combat is done via status effects. So uh, mm-hmm. she can she can cast like a quickening spell to make you go through the, the active time battle uh, system faster. And then she can also cast slow spells on, on the opponents. So it's kind of a time mage, maybe? Yeah, maybe that would be a good comparison. Because I haven't seen like poison or any status effects like that from her yet. It seems to be that most of her stuff is interfering with the bar. She does cast paralysis, though, with her primary attack. So it's just rolled into it. So her, her main attack has like a 30% chance to paralyze someone. 
the combat is very heavily hooked into this ATB. So whenever you start up into combat with enemies, there's usually about three opponents on the field with you, and everybody will appear down at the bottom on a single time bar that uh, basically is split up into two sections. There's a waiting period while you wait to do something, and then once you get to the uh, casting period, it, you know the, the game will pause and let you pick your actions. But uh, basically, you, you'll pick a spell, and every spell has a certain amount of time, so short, long, or uh, I, I guess medium, um, but a certain cast time. And so there's this little window on the time bar where if you pick a short spell, you'll zip through that little window. And if you pick a long spell, you'll sit there for a longer amount of time. But the, the game puts a lot of value on getting attacks in before your enemies, and maybe even more importantly, attacking your enemies while they are in the process of casting. Okay. Uh, and so if you hit someone while they're casting, you'll interrupt them, and they'll go back on the time gauge, and they'll have to pick out all their attacks again. And in some cases, you can even play matches where if you're really spry you can maybe not even ever let the enemy uh, even take a single swing at you, much less land well, an attack. Uh, pretty interesting. Always like um, combat systems like that where I can control when the enemy attacks. You have a... Uh, and so the way that you can kind of control that a little bit is you have a little Firefly character that follows you around. He's controlled with the right analog stick. Or if you want to break out like your PlayStation Move or whatever, uh, you can have a second player control him with that. But you hover over the enemies with him and hold the R2 or L2 or whatever, and that's what freezes the enemies on the time bar. It doesn't freeze them, but it just makes them run a little slower. And uh, it's a it's a finite resource, but it's one that's pretty easy to refill, even in the middle of fights. So right. generally, you have a lot of control over how fast your opponents are getting through that bar. It's a very cool idea, and... The game is good technically in almost every way that I can think of. Like it's beautiful. It looks great. Technically, like that's not a good preface. It, it is it is one of the best looking games <laughs> that I've played this generation. But I'm a little irritated by only being able to have two of my allies on the field. I, fi I find that to be a little stifling. Um and so stuff like that makes it feel like maybe not as full featured as a normal game, which fair enough, it's only fourteen ninety nine or whatever on the app store. So, but so uh, that kind of bugs me a little bit. The primary difficulty level is not good uh, for all that unique stuff that I was just talking about. You yeah. can you can also go through the game pretty easily just by kind of mashing the buttons and just just get it done like you yeah you can play with the enemy on the atb by using the the little firefly guy but you could also just not do that and you'd probably be fine yeah i get it wouldn't be that big of a deal i i hear i haven't tried it yet i hear that if you bump the game up to hard it improves it rather substantially but um between that and the story and the characters the game is it, it's like it's like valium to me I have, I have literally. <laughs> Whenever you have to sigh while describing a video game, I have, I have sat down for like two sessions, and both times I have very nearly fallen asleep. It's, and I'm not exaggerating, and I, I, that's not something that usually happens to me. But this game just puts me to bed. I don't know if it's the music or the the dialogue and the story are. Everything rhymes, so the whole thing, all the characters when they speak, they... The they, entire they, game rhymes? The entire game rhymes, with the exception of one character who, whenever he speaks, he deliberately uh, misuses his words and doesn't say something that rhymes, and... See, that, that turned me off to the whole game, right? There. I was a little intrigued when you told me about the battle system, but I don't think I can put up with a full game of rhyming. It's hard to take it seriously, and like I said, like I don't really know what my goal is right now. There, there are parts that have been good. There are little side quests to find. Like I went and cleaned out the basement of this guy's house and it was filled with... He's like, go, go on down and just clear out that basement. I'll give you a shiny nickel. And you go down and it's like flame demons that are chilling out down there that are way tough and way above your level. That was a cool segment. But then at the same time, there are plenty of segments that aren't all that exciting. All right. Um, I, I don't know. I don't really know how else to, to describe it. It just, it, it hasn't, it hasn't grabbed me like I hoped that it would. Uh, I will say that I used the, the PS Vita to remote play it. 
Okay. Um, and that worked pretty stunningly. It's one of the first games where I've really had it work very well. Maybe because it's not as demanding as, say, like Assassin's Creed or something like that. Right, right. Yeah. But it, it's performed pretty admirably in that regard. But it's, like I said, very light for an RPG. Not a lot going on there. Um, and so, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm really kind of vacillating on what score I'm going to give it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try... I'm going to try moving it to hard and see if that spices it up and makes it more exciting. But I really am not a huge fan of the characters and the plot and everything else. So there's still some other presentation things to get past. I, I guess we'll see. Um, it's a great value. It's $14.99 and it's like a nine hour RPG. It's not bad. No, that's pretty substantial. Yeah. It's not bad that's, at all. That's, uh, it's less money than you played for uh, Ground Zeroes and it's more game. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? I really uh, genuinely think that with just a few changes, they probably could have boxed this up as a $60 title. Um, oh. I'm not exaggerating when I say it looks phenomenal. Like It is such a good-looking game. Um, it's maybe just not for me. And you know what? A lot of people have liked it quite a bit. I think that if I give it a bad review, I'll be one of the few who does. Um, but it just hasn't really it hasn't rung any of my bells. It hasn't done it for me quite yet. Well, that sounds. I mean, it sounds uh, interesting. I think it's always a little unfortunate when a when a game can't grab you like it should. Yeah, um, and there's still time. Um, I've only probably played for maybe f- three hours, probably. So that's a yeah. third third of the game. So that still gives them two thirds to really really grab me. Um, last year there was a game that came out. I don't know if you remember talking about it at all, but it was called Brothers, where you c- yeah I control. Control Two Brothers with the analog stick, and that really didn't come together for me all that strongly until the end. And when I, by the time I finished it, I was like, "Wow, that was really great." But there were a lot of times while I was playing it where I was kind of like, "Why the fuck am I playing this?" So, do, do you know anything about the uh, development of Shadow of Light? Do you know anything about the team? Is it indie? Are we talking? What are we talking here? I really don't. I think it's. Uh, I, I, I. So what I do know is it's Ubisoft Montreal that's listed, okay. which is a, a pretty major studio. Um, I'm not super clear on the directors and the creative team behind it. Most of them are, are French Canadian from the look of it. So they're names that I would butcher if I tried to say them. It's kind of a mysterious little title. It kind of popped out. I don't want to say popped out of nowhere because I've been anticipating it for a while, but, um, uh, that's, that's bizarre. It says more, most of the core, uh, creative team is formed of people who worked on Far Cry 3. Both games share a similar upgrade tree. Ah, I don't, I don't think I would say that at all. Uh, okay. The, the leveling, right. the leveling system is is nice. I mean, it, it works. There, are, each character gets like three trees that they can travel down, and uh, but it's very, very standard as far as RPGs go. It's nothing, nothing really to write home about. Every and level you fair, get. A, Far Cry, Far Cry Three's leveling system was also pretty standard. <laughs> that's true. Uh, every level you get a skill point, and you can drop it into things, and, and they range from. Uh, you know, every few steps you'll get a spell, but like most of the things you'll be buying will just be like a, a two point increase to a stat or something along those lines. It also says Child of Light is inspired by Studio Ghibli and Yoshitaka Omano, and presentation is similar to games like Vagrant Story and Final Fantasy. Which one? Eight, it says there. What? Where are you reading this? That is on Wikipedia. No, at, no point, at no point have I looked at this and been like, yeah, Final Fantasy Eight, yo. As we all know, Wikipedia is an undeniable source of fact. Maybe I can maybe see a vagrant story connection there, a, a, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit, but even that isn't much. I'm trying to think of what it what it sounds like. It reminds me of it. Kind of, it, I mean, the the graphics and gameplay kind of remind me a little bit of Vanillaware, I think. And uh, yeah, I it, think I think that's a pretty good comparison, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's as exciting as some Vanillaware games. <laughs> yeah, see, unfortunately, um, the good news is I never paid for Vanillaware uh, game because I worked at GameStop at the time that they were first really coming out, so I could just take them home for free. In fact, GameStop required you to take games home um, if you wanted to keep your job. Mm-hmm. And some of them just didn't grab me how they were supposed to. I always cite uh, Odin Sphere as a game that, you know, it's it's gorgeous and uh, probably one of the best looking games on the PlayStation 2. And 
and it's going to age well because of its graphic style too. Yeah. But man, it's just I can't I couldn't do it. Like I'm I probably yep. I probably made it through like the first character and I think I was starting to control the the cool looking dude and I was just like nope, I thought that might be enough but it wasn't. I, I, I think I made it a little further than you. I think I did the first character. I feel like I did three and then I kind of stopped. I had a lot of uh, like late PlayStation 2 games like that. Like, did you ever play uh, Radiata Stories or Radiata Stories? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, same thing here. I, I started playing Radiata st- Stories and I just couldn't finish it. I'm like, yeah, this looks great. And I start playing. And I'm like, this is great. And then I just, for whatever reason, a week later, I couldn't do it anymore. Just couldn't go any further. I, I, they all they all I think had a really weird pace as well. Yeah, and Child of Light I wouldn't blame that that for it. Um, I, I mean, it doesn't have a lot of pace in the sense that there's not a lot of like towns or villages or, or breaks of peace that you get. It's pretty much just dropping you in and being like, let's fight things, go. Um, <laughs> but right. there's nothing necessarily wrong with that pace. That pace doesn't hurt it all that much. I, I think I've been to like one or two cities. But there's not a lot to do in them. You pretty much just like walk right through them and call it a day. So if this is if this is by Ubisoft Montreal, is it okay to call this a French RPG, an I, FRPG? An FRPG? Yeah, I guess I I'll I'll allow it this one time. Okay, this one time I'll let it pass. You know, inter- yeah. interestingly enough, though, I I was um, last week I was I'll I'll spare the details, but I wasn't feeling good, and I, I wound up in in bed for a good portion of the of the week. And um, I did pick up Persona 4 on, oh. the, on the Vita, and I've maybe played like 10 minutes of that. Oh, that's okay. Maybe, um, maybe 15. So uh, it is as every bit as Japanese as I hoped it would be. Oh, yeah. Persona is a very uh, Japanese series. And I have to say this. I have to say that, um, you know, if anyone has a yellow fever, if anyone is a weeaboo, you have to do what I did because I worked for a Japanese company uh, right before moving into graduate school. And I was basically their event coordinator. So what I had to do is I had to hire Japanese artists both from New York City and from over there from, um, you know, their headquarters were in Kobe and uh, Tokyo and Osaka and all those places. Uh, so I was working for the Japanese and then I got Persona 3. And I started playing Persona 3 and, you know, at that time, I was about six months into my job, and I had finished Persona 3, and I was Japanese out. I didn't want to look at another Japanese person. I don't want to eat another piece of Japanese food. I never wanted to deal with Japan again. That's a great way to cure yourself right there. Oh, and then you can assimilate back into normal society. <laughs> you can assimilate back into normal society. So, um, a quick question. I think we're probably getting ready to wrap up soon, but uh, Persona... Um, is, is does the hero have a canon name? He has a canon name, yes. What what is it? His canon name is uh let me see what was his canon name I believe is you Narukami, what is it? Narukami, I think. Yeah, it's you Narukami. That's his. That's his canon name. Because usually, I, I'm the unfun kid who like when he starts a Zelda save, I write Link for the name. Well, see, here's the thing. If you're Persona, they don't get a canon name until way after the game has uh, come out. Ah, uh, okay. So, so you know, if you if you got this thing first thing, like if you get Persona 5, which is supposed to be next year or whatever, um, you're not going to get that name until like 2017. So you better get creative. Well, and so like I put in, I just put in my name when it came up. I, I wasn't expecting it. And so I was like, oh, so now okay. You, now you got now you got a hipster, now, a great haired hipster. See, with the name uh, Jared Vaulthouse. Yeah, see, now it's weird because I'm walking around and like meeting my new friend, like Reiko Fitsukami, and it's like, hi, Jared. <laughs> yeah. just, it seems wrong. It doesn't seem right. Yeah, it's Yukiko, Chie, and Jared. Yeah, <laughs> you know that classic crew. <laughs> Everybody remembers. Right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll report back in as we get closer. I hope to have some time to play it this week because it's, you know, it's a game that a lot of people talk about and that has a. Oh, I, I think if you're playing it, just take your time with it because it's 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 uh, it requires you to grind a little bit. So it's really something to play when you're more chill, and uh, it's good to not have to play it in an environment where you're expected to review it. Well, and I I won't be so it, obviously because it's so old. But yeah, um, 
yeah, I, I hope I can fit it in. I don't know. I've got a lot to play now because I've got to jump into all my episodic games. Kentucky Route Zero, uh, Walking Dead Season 2 came out today. So I got to... Which hopefully I can talk about Walking Dead next week. Yeah, hopefully I can too. I'd like to... Uh, it'd be good if both of us can maybe have something to say about it because yeah. I, lo- I love those games. But All right. Well, uh, if, you, uh, if you've been listening and, and enjoying our, our two-man show, next week we'll be down to one. It'll just be me. Uh, and I'll just talk to myself for an hour. Uh, but hey, if that sounds like your kind of gig, go to enemyslime.com. Check out our, our rantings, our ravings. Uh, if you're not already, you should subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes or via RSS feed, so go nuts on that. You can follow us on Twitter or Facebook. We're at The Enemy Slime, so go there. Click on those like buttons or, or whatever the Twitter equivalent to follow. Click the follow button. And uh, then you can always be up to date when we when we do these sexy, sexy shows. And if you have uh, more questions about Japan or if you have more questions about moths. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're wondering about any of that, you know, right, right into us. Uh, you, you can reach out to us at contact at enemyslime.com. And we would be happy to field all of your questions about Japan. And we'll even keep it anonymous because let's face it, we know that you don't want people to know all the dirty, dirty thoughts that you have and all the, all the things that you're wondering about, like Japanese underwear vending machines and, you know, that kind of stuff. Which are only in Japan, just like convenience stores. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. That so, kind of stuff. Anyway, I think, uh, I think that should cover it for this week. So with that, we will...